And so we're going to read from Matthew chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles open up, you should have your Bibles. Everybody say, Word. Word, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. (sighs) For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the reading of God's word. Pastor Alex. Thank you, Carrie. Hey, everybody. Uh, Hi, how are you? (laughs) Uh, So my name is Alex. Thank you, Joe. I am one of the pastors here at the Hope Collective and so glad that we get to spend this time together. Whether you're joining us on campus or online, we gather because God is good. And we gather to celebrate his goodness, uh, both for who he is and what he's doing in us and in the world around us. So it is a privilege to be able to be here today. Uh, And like Carrie said, we are talking about rest this morning. Uh, Jesus took naps and so should you. Uh, The Lord bless you and keep you. You're dismissed. Uh, No, 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 no. Um, So I might actually go a little bit over today. Uh, So Dave, this one's for you. Um, We are talking about this conversation about rest. And we're talking about rest and taking a little bit of extra time to do that today because this is a really big topic that if we were actually to take to heart what God says about it is so disruptive to our lives that we instinctually shy away from it without even realizing it. Point in case. In this message series, Copy Paste, we've been taking this summer to talk about all the different things that are true of Jesus that we want to see be true of us as well. We've talked about Jesus' generosity and what it looks like to be generous like Jesus. We've talked about how he shared the good news and how we can do the same. We've talked about how he depended on God and how we can do that. And there's all these other things that we could talk about about God in Jesus that were true of him that we want to be true of this us. We can talk about the joy of God in Jesus. We can talk about Jesus' kindness. We can talk about his gentleness. But when we make this list of things that were true of Jesus, that we want to emulate in our lives, one of the words that is missing from most people's list is well rested. And yet I would argue that if this was not true of Jesus, if he wasn't an expert at this practice of godly rest, most of the other things that we've talked about in this series wouldn't be true. And so what does it look like for us to take our model of rest from the life and practice and teaching of Jesus And have that be copied in our own lives, pasted in our activities, so that we can be well-rested like Jesus. If we even believe that that's a category we could apply to him. So we're going to take some extra time to talk about that this morning. And full disclosure, we are probably going to get to the end of this message. And you will have questions. Lots of questions. And there's no way that in the next 30, 40 minutes we could wrap up and dot every I and cross every T on this concept of rest. And so my prayer this week has been that God would give each and every one of us a spirit of curiosity to say, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like? And how do I live this out in my day-to-day life? And we've anticipated that, which is why we've created a follow-up resource page related to this message at thehopeco.com slash rest. 
Well, you'll find some of the things that were used to prepare this message, some resources about how to practically live it out and some of the challenges that you might encounter. Again, that's going to be at thehopeco.com slash rest. So check that out later, not now. Please be present uh, as we're having this conversation. But we're going to talk about this idea of rest. We're going to look at rest in the life of Jesus. We're going to look at how we may need to rethink rest in our own lives. And then some things to keep in mind as we move forward. And this is a really timely conversation, especially as we head into, as a church, a new ministry season. As many of us are headed back to school or back to the office and falling into our fall routines, the question of what role will rest play in my life, in my schedule, in my rhythms, on my calendar? How will I make this time to live out the life of Jesus and how he rested? So that's where we're going to be this morning, is talking about rest in the life of Jesus, how we need to understand or rethink rest in our own lives, and then some things to keep in mind moving forward, because here's what I believe is true. We will never learn to be like Jesus if we do not learn to rest like Jesus. We will never learn to be like Jesus if we do not learn to rest like Jesus. So how did Jesus rest? Well, in order to really understand rest in the life of Jesus, we have to understand what God set up as rest and the situation that Jesus stepped into when he came to earth to model what rest looked like for us. So in order to find our first mention of rest in scripture, we don't have to go too far from the beginning. In Genesis 1, we have the account of God creating everything, creating the entire world and filling it with life. And on day six, he creates humanity, and he invites them into the beautiful work of seeing the goodness that God has filled his creation with flourish and become more, and go to more places in his creation because of the role that they got to have with it. And there's this refrain that comes out in the creation story of Genesis 1 where God says, it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good. And on day six, he creates humans, he gives them this task, and he looks at everything that he created and said, it is very good. And then we read these words in Genesis 2. After these six days of creation, this invitation to humanity to partner with him and seeing the goodness that he's filled creation with continue to grow. It says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. God gives humanity the sacred task of being a part of the work that he will do in the world, but before they ever put that hand to this work, he gives them an invitation to rest. And on day seven, looks around at everything that he had created and steps into the enjoyment of everything that he had worked to create and invites humanity to do the same. That's what rest is. Rest is the opportunity to enjoy the goodness of God and his good gifts to us, to others, and in creation. It's this invitation to delight in all of God's goodness. It is a reflection of God's character. God went first in this. He was the first to rest and invited humanity to join him in that. And not only is it a reflection of the character of God, it is a reminder of humanity's destiny. That at the end of our labors will be rest. 
the opportunity to enjoy and delight in the goodness of God, the goodness that he has filled his world with, and the goodness that he makes available to us. We keep that in mind as we move forward in this conversation. So God created this rhythm. He established these rhythms of six days of work and a seventh day of rest in his creation. He modeled that for himself and said that this arrangement was very good. And if we're familiar with the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we know that this arrangement doesn't last very long. Because instead of looking to God's definition of what's good and what's not, humanity decides to take things into their own hand. And in grabbing the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they declare that they are the ones who get to decide what is good and what is not. And everything starts to unravel. Their relationship with God is broken, their relationship with each other is broken, and their relationship with their work and their rest is broken. And it's one of the few things that God directly calls out in Genesis 3 that is a consequence of the actions that they've taken. And so Genesis 3, verse 17, says this. And to the man, Adam, God said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, you listened to someone other than me, and were taking directions from someone who didn't actually know what was best. Since you listened to your wife, you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground that I created you to work has been cursed because of you. And all of your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. You will be able to survive until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust. And to dust you will return. The work that God had invited humanity to be a part of becomes broken. And all of a sudden, because of the actions they've taken, they are now subject to a life that is lived with work and no rest. To scratch a living from the ground and the garden that God created. To be taken out of that place of goodness and flourishing, sent into the desert to try and scrape things together for their own survival, and never be able to take a moment to rest or enjoy it because they are so busy just trying to make it through. This life is a life of slavery to work, and it's a consequence of brokenness and sin and the fall, and it was never God's design. What God created to be good work and good rest became soul-crushing work without rest because God had been removed from the picture. Hundreds of years pass by, and Israel finds itself in actual slavery to the foreign superpower of Egypt. They are slaves in this nation, subject to work without rest, high demands, without any opportunity to enjoy the fruit of their labor, working for another. They cry out to God, and God steps in to rescue them, to bring them out of this situation, to make them their own nation, to give them the ability to work with him towards their future together to have good work again and the opportunity to rest because God's presence is with them once again. And so he gives them this set of laws, these instructions that are the result of if I am with you, then this is what is possible. And we're all familiar with this idea of the Ten Commandments and all of these things that God lays out to say, this is a reflection of my character. I value life, so don't take life. I am a God of truth, so don't lie. I am a God of faithfulness, so don't break faith. I am a God of rest, so take a day off. This idea made it into the Big Ten. It's up there with murder and lying and adultery. 
And when you look into ancient Near Eastern law codes, because uh, apparently that's what we do. Why did I even say that? <laughs> when we, when we, if you were, <laughs> this idea of Sabbath and rest, Sabbath is this Hebrew word that means ceasing and stopping, and it's the structure that God gave to this rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. Sabbath is unique among the Jewish people. They were slaves in Egypt. God rescued them, and rather than giving them another form of slavery, he worked rest and delight and enjoyment into the very fabric of what it meant to worship him. And this idea of Sabbath and this practice of Sabbath and committing a seventh of your time in an act of worship to God was to our time what tithing was to our money. So tithing was this idea of I'm going to take a portion of what God has given me and I'm going to give it back to God as an act of worship. I'm going to take a tenth of my possessions and I'm going to offer them back to God because it's all from him anyways. And so I will worship him in the giving and it will actually teach me to be a more generous person. The idea of tithing, what it was to our possessions was what Sabbath was, is what Sabbath was to our time. And this idea of every minute I have on this planet, every hour, every moment has been given to me by God. So I'm going to take a portion of that, a seventh of that, and I'm going to offer it back to God as an act of worship and a reminder to myself that it all belongs to him anyways. This was built into the fabric of worship for God's people. It was this invitation to rest, to enjoy God and his good gifts and the fruit of their labor. Having been brought out of slavery, they were invited into rest. But once again, humanity thinks that they know better than God. And maybe this idea of keeping the Sabbath and taking a day off isn't really the best choice, isn't really how we want to live our lives. So we fast forward again hundreds of years, and over the course of that time, Israel turns away from God, breaks their relationship with him, so he removes his protection, and they are overwhelmed by foreign superpowers scattered among the nations. But because God is good, he invites a remnant of faithful people back to his, the land that he had given them. Back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. And he gives them a place once more and another invitation into relationship with him and everything that that means. And it was at this point in time that something curious happened in Israel's history. The teachers of religious law, those familiar with the instructions, with Torah, with everything that Moses had given them, they began to say, okay, we don't want this exile, we don't want this judgment to ever happen again. What can we do to prevent our people from being subject to that again? The problem you see determines the solution you look for. The problem that the religious leaders saw was that they had broken God's rules. And if that was the problem, then they saw their job as creating and teaching, teaching the rules that God had already laid out and establishing extra rules to make sure that you didn't even get close to the original rules that God had created. So if God said, these are the rules, we're going to say, these are the rules, so you don't get close to breaking these rules because you're not going to touch these rules out here. And they came to be known as fence laws, a fence that was built around the law in order to keep God's people from breaking God's commandments so that they wouldn't be subject to God's judgment again. It came from a good heart and a good place, but it started to spiral out of control. One of the most interesting examples of this there's this really obscure verse. shows up twice in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy. Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. We have no idea why it's there. We don't know why this is important 
Apparently it is. God said, don't do this. And there's lots of speculation about, was this like part of another uh, cult practice or whatever? We don't know at the end of the day. And so the Jewish teachers, they looked at this law and they said, well, we don't know why it's here, but obviously it's important to God. So let's start building the fences around this law. So if we're not supposed to boil a young goat in its mother's milk, let's just keep all goat meat away from all goat milk. Okay, well, maybe it's like a milk and meat thing that God cares about. So let's just make all meat. Don't, don't let your meat touch your milk at all. Okay, what about cheese? Eh, well, it's kind of milk. Okay, just meat and dairy. Just keep them separate. <laughs> to this day, to this day, Hasidic Jews, ultra-Orthodox Jews have two separate refrigerators. One for meat, one for dairy. These fence laws that have been created around this one thing that we don't really understand anymore, but this idea that, well, it's, apparently it's important to God, so let's make sure that we don't touch it. It started from a good place. It started from a desire to keep God's people safe. But begin to spiral out of control. And what they did with these laws and others, they also did with the Sabbath. Okay, God doesn't want us to work on this day. So let's make these rules to make sure that we don't even get close to work. Okay, so what is work? And now we have this list of 39 activities that count as work. And okay, but what about walking? Okay, walking's fine, but you can only walk so far. And what about carrying things? Well, only in these certain areas. And you can't make a fire, but you can keep a fire going. And don't push any buttons. And like, and all of these extra laws, they get piled upon this idea and this invitation to enjoy God and his good gifts and what was meant to be a blessing to God's people became a burden. And this relationship with God that the Sabbath was meant to cultivate became another set of rules another form of slavery. Here's what you need to do. And even on your day off, you have to make sure that you're doing the things that God would want you to do so that you avoid his judgment. Again, it came from a good place, a good heart of wanting to protect God's people, but began to spiral out of control because it became more about the rules and less about the relationship. This situation about rest is the situation that Jesus stepped into. And so he comes on the scene talking about this idea of actual rest and this revolutionary thought that maybe God actually enjoys you and you can actually enjoy God. And it's not long before he finds himself on the opposite side of the religious teachers of his day because of his thoughts about rest and Sabbath and what it means to actually worship God. And so like Pastor Kerry read earlier, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus is teaching and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my work upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. The burdens that the religious teachers and the Pharisees had heaped upon this idea of rest, Jesus steps onto the scene and says, rest isn't something you get later because you kept the rules. Rest is something that's available to you now through a relationship with me. And that was the point all along was that this practice of rest and Sabbath was meant to be an opportunity to enjoy the goodness of God and his presence and his good gifts. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, I'm here. You can have rest. You can have delight. You can enjoy the presence of God 
in a relationship with me. What's interesting is that immediately following this declaration of Jesus, we have two stories of Jesus getting in trouble on the Sabbath from the Pharisees because he was breaking their rules even while he was keeping the establishment of the Sabbath that God had created. It wasn't that what Jesus was doing was inappropriate according to God. It's that he wasn't playing by the Pharisees' rules, and they were scared. And so we have the story in Matthew 12, 1. It says, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it, and they protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Harvest was one of these rules that was like, hey, this is work. We can't do that. These guys, they're rubbing hand, their hands on the grain and they're eating it and that's, that's work. Jesus, you can't let them do that. And Jesus is like, that's not harvest, that's snack time. <laughs> What's more important, keeping these rules that you've created or actually taking care of people? Haven't you read what David and his men did when they went into the temple and you have this bread of the presence that nobody's supposed to touch except for the priest and there's all these rules around it, but they were hungry and in need and they were able to eat that bread? What do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that the, the Levites and the priests, they're still serving in the temple on the Sabbath, doing good and helping people connect with God? What do you do with that? Even while something greater than God's presence at the temple is here, standing right in front of you. Margaret had this idea that Jesus says, which came first? Was humanity created to keep the Sabbath or was the Sabbath created to bless humanity? Which way is this going? Who's serving who? And by the way, God's the one who created the Sabbath, so he's the one that gets to choose what happens on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus, are you God? <laughs> Jesus starts to get himself in the crosshairs of the religious leaders becomes he's becoming a threat to their system and what they think is actually the best life. And we have this next story in 12.9 where it says that Jesus then, after all of this, he went over to their synagogue and he noticed a man with a deformed hand and the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And they were hoping that he would say yes so that they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And then just to underscore his point, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. And in verse 14, it tells us that then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Again, from their perspective, rest was something they could get later if they could keep the rules now. Jesus steps on the, on the scene to say, it's not about keeping the rules and getting rest later. It's actually about a relationship with me and getting rest now. By participating in that relationship. But the Pharisees saw that as a threat. And if they needed to keep the rules in order to achieve rest, this rule breaker, this troublemaker, this disruptive presence needed to be removed because he was a threat to God's people. They come against Jesus. But Jesus continues to teach and practice, and we see this throughout his life, that rest is lived in a relationship with God, the enjoyment of God's presence, and his good gifts to his people. We see this modeled in the life of Jesus from cover to cover. 
is that rest is this invitation to delight in God. And no matter what sort of rules people may try to put around it, it's all about this relationship and enjoying God's presence and being enjoyed by God. This is the message of rest that we have in Scripture. This is the practice of rest that Jesus modeled. And this was the source of so much of the strength and presence and beauty that Jesus was able to bring into the world was because of his regular practice of connection with the Father. If this is how scripture talks about rest, if this is what we see modeled in the life of Jesus, then there are things that we believe and think about rest that need to change. Our relationship with our work and our relationship with our rest because we will never learn to be like Jesus if we do not learn to rest like Jesus. So if this is what we see modeled in the life of Jesus about rest, then how does that change how we think? about rest. First and foremost, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we live in an epidemic of busyness. It has become such a part of the speed and pace of our society. We are moving at 100 miles an hour, and you don't even realize it because the people next to us are going at 100 miles an hour as well. And we are just flying down this road, not even able to really know where we're going or what's going on around us because we are moving so fast, and we have become so unaware of it, that we don't even know it's a problem anymore, but we still feel the symptoms. We still feel that anxiety. We still feel overwhelmed, but we don't know what to do because that's just life, right? The United States actually has one of the longest average work weeks among full-time workers in industrialized nations. So for nations that have all these time-saving devices and opportunities, Americans are still working the most. We add on to that this hyper-connected culture where even hours that we're not working are spent in a state of needing to respond or see or move towards something or interact or message or respond because of everything that's going on in this cyber environment. And then you take all of that and you drop it into the northwest suburbs of Chicago where our school schedules, our sports schedules, Upward mobility, the corporate ladder, side hustles, the gig economy, everything is working against us to steal us away from the rest that would actually bring us into the presence of God. I heard this story. Um, There was a woman in our community. We'll call her Stacy. Stacy was a typical suburban mom, uh, so three kids, junior high and elementary school. She was involved at the church, involved in the community, had a part-time job. Her husband worked full-time. She was super involved in everything and super overwhelmed, anxious, panicky. And so one day she finally goes to her primary care provider and says, look, this is what my life is like. I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. feel like I'm moving at 100 miles an hour. Don't know what to do. Doc, help me. And the doctor looked at her and said, well... What you really need to do is slow down. But you're not going to. No one does. So here's a prescription. When I heard that story for the first time, my heart sank. Partly because of Stacy and her experience. Partly for this doctor. Because that wasn't the first conversation that they'd had with someone about this very topic. To see the symptoms, to know the diagnosis, and to offer a treatment that nobody takes you up on because nobody's willing to. Because what that doctor wasn't able to address was these deep-seated places of our soul that drive our busyness, 
these things that we are working so hard to achieve or to avoid that are actually stealing us away from God because we haven't come to him in the first place. We need to rethink our perspective on rest. And here's three things that I would submit as we think about rest and what it looks like to copy that into our lives, pasted from the life of Jesus and how he did things. First, rest is a gift to be received. Second, rest is a skill to be practiced. And third, rest is preparation for eternity. Let's jump back to this idea of rest is a gift to be received. Rest is not a luxury for the privileged. That was never God's intention. It is not a reward for the successful, where you only get it if you do certain things. And it is not, and I think this is probably more prevalent in the church than we realize. Rest is not an interruption to be avoided. There is an odd amount of similarity between how the religious leaders of Jesus' day would have talked and treated rest and how some religious leaders today would talk and treat rest. For the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the idea was that what are people going to do if they think they can skip the Sabbath? What's going to happen if people think they don't have to keep these rules? Everything's going to be chaotic. God's going to judge us. It's all going to go wrong. We need to make sure people take a day off. In some circles today, religious leaders seem to have the same fear, but in the opposite direction. What in the world are people going to do if they feel like they could take a day off? There is work to be done. There's people who need to hear the message. We need to get out there. We need to be driven. We need to go. The devil takes, never takes a day off, and neither should we. Time. First off, did we just suggest that we should be taking life cues from Satan? Second, I'm pretty sure that Satan's inability to rest is a direct correlation from his disconnection from the rest that God offers. It's the same fear, well-intentioned, but misguided. The same well-intentioned fear that leads to the same exact result. We tell people that they have to be running 100 miles an hour because that's what our culture says, not because that's what scripture says or what Jesus models. But this idea of rest as the opportunity to delight in the goodness of God and his good gifts is an invitation. It is a gift to be received. Corrie Ten Boom, she was uh, World War II, played a huge role in helping Jews escape Nazi Germany and escape the Holocaust. Lots of good work for her to do. Lots of opportunity to do good and partner with God's mission in the world. And she is noted with having said these words, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Sin and busyness both have the same result. They separate you from a connection with God, a connection with others, and a connection with yourself. And there can be no work that God ordains without the rest that God offers. And this should really challenge the way that we think about rest. I was doing some research for this, came across another pastor talking about this idea of Sabbath. And he said, why is it that as a pastor, there are nine out of 10 of these 10 commandments that if I broke them, I would be fired. But there's one that if I break, I'm pretty sure I'll get a promotion. Something is wrong with our perspective of rest culturally and within the church. And we have to view rest as a gift from God and an invitation to enjoy him once again, because from cover to cover, Rest is this opportunity to delight in the goodness of God and his good gifts that is to be received without apology and enjoyed without shame. Come on. 
There is no guilt in this conversation. And there is no, that's not for me in this conversation. Or I don't need that. This is a gift that God offers because he knows us and he knows what's good. And he's inviting us to enjoy him and his good gifts. Rest is a gift to be received, not an interruption to be avoided. And rest is a skill to be practiced. We don't often think about rest like this. I think unconsciously we think of rest as a status. You are either working or you're resting, which is just not working. But actually this idea that enjoyment and delight is a skill. It's something that we have to learn to do, even though we were created to do it. My kids right now, they are 9, 7, and 5, and they're super into all things animals right now. So PBS Kids, uh, Wild Kratts, we've got encyclopedias of animals all over the house. And so I'm learning along with them as they're learning. And one of the things that I found striking over these past couple weeks was that there's this idea that animals that are raised in captivity, when they are finally introduced to their natural habitats, they have to be trained how to live in those habitats, even though they were designed to live there. They have spent so much time in captivity that they have to learn how to live in the natural places and rhythm that they were created to live. We have spent so much time captive to our busyness that we need to learn how to live in the freedom of God's rest. And so this is a skill to be practiced. And it's in the process of practicing this skill, actually, that the Lord begins graciously to reveal our idols. Uh, earlier this week, I had the privilege of joining Pastor David, Pastor Kerry uh, for a season three pod podcast recording of Practicing His Presence. Uh, our worship pastor, Alex Park Hartman, uh, my wife, Renee, has done a phenomenal job uh, with this series. And we joined them. Yes, absolutely. Some of you know this. And so we were taking questions that uh, listeners had submitted. And one of the questions was like, how? How do I slow down enough to enjoy God's presence? And there's really two answers to that question. One of them is a how question, which is a skill-based, practical question, and is a great conversation to have. And that's one of the resources that we uploaded to the hopeco.com slash rest is this great resource called How to Unhurry by John Mark Homer. Check it out. It's a very practical way of how do we actually live this out. But the more important question to ask on that is why. Not how do I slow down, but why is it so hard? Because here's what I'm convinced of. No one is ever busy just because. No one wakes up in the morning to say, I think my best life will be lived at 100 miles an hour, driving myself into the ground. And that's how I want to do things. No one's ever busy just because. Every single one of us, when we are busy, we are either running after something or running away from something. There is something that we are trying to achieve or something we're trying to avoid. And in the gracious practice of rest that God is inviting us into, we are confronted with these places that our, are our idols, the things that we have organized our lives around that are driving us into the ground because there is no idol that is not also a slave driver. And so we have these opportunities to stop and ask ourselves these questions. Why? Why do I find it so hard to slow down? What am I working so hard to achieve? What am I afraid is going to happen if I slow down for just a moment? I know for me, when I find it difficult to slow down, there are one of two things that are happening, most often. I am either trying to achieve 
a sense of order and control, or I am trying to avoid feeling my feelings. When I feel this anxiety and this anxiousness that keeps me from actually settling into rest and the enjoyment of God and his good gifts, one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm actually trying to create order in things that feel chaotic. When my internal world feels chaotic or there's things around me that feel chaotic, I instinctually work to create structure. I research. I try to figure things out. I create order. I am like Batman trying to bring everything into alignment and try to wrap my mind around it. And that is a frantic struggle for security that is not mine to try and give myself. It is relying on my skill and my perspective and my ability to figure things out rather than on the God who says, you're safe here. And so I know when I have trouble resting, one of the reasons is usually because I'm trying to achieve security when God's already offered me that. In the other place, I'm trying to avoid my emotions. Those pesky emotions, I tell you. I will make myself busy to avoid feeling things. I've caught myself doing this. And it's stupid because they always catch up with you. But I live like I can be like, can't catch me, existential angst. Eat my dust, relational inadequacy. And like, this doesn't, it doesn't work. And yet I think if I can just run far enough, if I can just run fast enough, I can avoid experiencing this rather than slowing down for a moment and saying, God, I'm having a really hard time being here with you because I don't feel like I have enough to offer the people that I love. I feel like I am being sucked dry and I don't have anything else to offer and is it okay if I show up like that? God, I don't know. I have questions. I don't know what happens next. Is it okay for me to be here in that place? And the invitation of God is yes. Because I've not changed. I'm still here. I still enjoy you. And you can still enjoy me. And the practice of rest is an opportunity to step into that, not to run away and try to avoid things or try to run after things that God has already offered me. And in this practice of rest, I learn how to do those things well. We learn how to see those moments not as a distraction from our relationship with God, but actually an opportunity to move deeper into our relationship with God. Rest is a gift to be received. It is a skill to be practiced. And it is preparation for eternity. In Genesis 2, it talks about how God set up this rhythm of work and rest as a reflection of his character, but also as a reminder of humanity's destiny. At the end of our work here in this world will be the opportunity to rest, to be in the fullness of God's presence and to enjoy him and his good gifts forever. And what if, what if it's possible to get to that moment to come to the end of our lives and enter into a relationship with God in its fullness because of Jesus and to be so disoriented and unfamiliar with the practice of actually enjoying God and being enjoyed by him that heaven doesn't feel like heaven at first because we have been running at such a fast pace and slammed on the brakes and are so unfamiliar with this idea of being with God. Now, luckily, God is gracious and eternity's a long time. I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to practice there, but I don't know about you. I want to get some reps in now, you know? I want to learn how to enjoy God's presence now. I want to learn how to rest now so that when that moment comes, I'm not taken by surprise. It's not unfamiliar because I've been doing it all my life. And I can step into that moment 
with joy and confidence because I know, because I've experienced this practice of enjoying God and his good gifts and knowing that I am enjoyed by him. And as we come to the end of this message, again, there's probably lots of questions. Well, but what does that actually look like in my life? Does that mean I have to sit around and like read the Bible all the time or like take 24 hours of just like on the couch? Maybe if you want. I mean, there's lots of questions you might have about that. And there's some practical resources, again, that we've put out there. So if you want to understand a little bit more about, you know, the theology behind all this idea of rest, there's podcasts and a sermon series at thehopeco.com slash rest. If you need some practical, like, but how do I do this in my life? There's resources on there as well. But do not let the conversation stop here. Because a moment of insight is nothing. We don't grow in these moments. When we come to God and he reveals something new about himself and we don't do anything with it. There's a rhythm that God has given us to receive insight and a better picture of who he is and to bring that to our communities in conversation and say, here's how that landed with me. Here's why that's hard. Here's what excites me about that but then to move that conversation into action, to practice, to do something different based on what we've learned here today. And then to come back to our communities in reflection and say, this is how that went. This is why that was hard. But this is what I loved about that, which brings more insight, which leads to more conversation, which creates more practice and more reflection, insight, conversation practice, reflection. This is the rhythm that Jesus has invited us into so that we can grow and become more like him as we learn to rest like he did. So three things to keep in mind as we move forward from here and whatever steps you take uh, out of this place. The first, start where you are, not where you think you should be. There's some people that would hear this message about rest and about this idea of a 24-hour Sabbath and they're like, all right, I am all in carve out the next day and we're just your soul's not ready for that again if this is a skill to be practiced that's like an ultra marathon and you haven't run a 5k yet we need to begin where we are because we're so unfamiliar with this idea of rest that we need to learn that we need to practice that we need to graciously ease ourselves into these moments so start with an hour take an hour out of your day or out of your week to enjoy god and know that you are enjoyed by him after that, take an evening to enjoy a good conversation, good food, good time with the Lord, and then a half day, and then a full day. But ease yourself into this idea. Start where you are, not where you think you should be. Second, remember that rest is a practice. This gives you the freedom to not do it perfectly. Because guess what? You won't. We learn how to do things like this. And there'll be times when you come to the end of a moment of rest or something you've carved out on your calendar and you're like, wow, that was amazing. I cannot wait for the next time we get to do that. And there'll be other times you get to the end where it's like, that was a train wreck. That was so hard. Try not to think of it in terms of pass-fail. The question you need to ask is, did you show up? Did you practice enjoying God? Did you practice being enjoyed by him? That's what you want to do. And guess what? If this works its way, its way into your schedule, you're going to get another opportunity soon. And you're going to be even better then because of this moment. So remember that this is a practice. And finally, know that you will encounter resistance. This whole idea of rest in our culture is so subversive. 
is so countercultural, is so contrary to the messages that we hear, that we will expect resistance. John Mark Comer, uh, he's an author who's done, and a pastor who's done a lot of work in this area. He puts it this way, of all of the practices of Jesus, Sabbath, and by extension rest, is by far one of the most counter-cultural because it touches on so many of the tender vulnerabilities of our soul. It's also a form of spiritual warfare. It's a kind of assault on hell's hold over our over-busy souls, and it's very hard for the enemy to tempt well-rested, healthy, and happy people. May that be true of us as we make it a practice of resting, of enjoying God and his good gifts, knowing that it's through this that we will actually become more like Jesus. And so as we leave this place, I love to pray over you the words of Jesus from Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And I love you. Ask if you could stand. These are the words of Jesus, the source of our rest, the model for our rest, and the hope of our rest. That God enjoys us, and we can actually enjoy him in a way that isn't about keeping rules, but is about entering into deeper and deeper places of a relationship with God who made us and loves us and can't wait to spend time with us. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. God, may we accept no other yoke, no other burden than the ones that you would offer us, knowing that they are light knowing that you love us, and knowing that when we come to you, we will find rest for our souls because we have found that there is a God who enjoys us, and there is a God that we can enjoy. As we go into this week and as we go into this next season of our lives, may this invitation of Jesus to rest not leave our minds and our hearts, and may it work its way into our practice, into our schedules, and into our lives so that we can experience more of you. It's in the name of Jesus, the source and hope of our rest that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here, everyone. We will see you next week as we continue in our series. Thanks again.